The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program, we're going to shift gears this hour and talk a little bit about poetry with the author of a new book called Tears of Change. She is an interior designer and joins me by phone. Her name is Debbie Montasia. Hi, Debbie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me. Um, I mentioned you were an interior designer. That doesn't necessarily scream poet. Um, how, d- how did you end up getting interested in and or writing poetry? Well, it started many years ago. Um, I'm not formally schooled in it, so it was just kind of one of my gifts or talents I, I uncovered when I was working through a uh, very debilitating case of anxiety. Um, part of my healing process through anxiety was to journal. So I was writing a lot. And from my journaling, I started kind of shifting over and writing poetry and writing in rhyme, writing little like short stories. And that's where that all came from. So I moved, you know, my anxiety was kind of sad and depressing. And and I started to write a little bit about, uh, you know, sadness and despair. And then as I moved through those emotions, I started writing about joy and gratitude and love and kind of how the book evolved. And, and that. with the book, was it is it a collection of things that you had written over time, or did you sit down and intentionally put together some things to tell a certain story or share some certain thoughts with the book? That's 
actually a collection of, of poems that I wrote over the past several years, probably 25 years. It started through, like I mentioned, through my anxiety. So some of my poems are reflective of that, of that healing. And then as time moved on, I started writing poems about um, my children and friendship and love. So it's, a, it's really a, correct, a collection of a diversity of, of poems reflecting many different emotions. And what about the title, Tears of Change, Poems, Reflections, and Quotes for a Meaningful Life? What do you mean when you say tears of change? Well, that was, that was challenging. That's a good question because it took me a long time to come up with a, a title because I knew I had... It's hard manage- with a collection of things that cover a lot of different topics I know. Right. Very well said. That's exactly the challenge I had. I would sit down literally and just write down, you know, title after title. Okay, I can name it this. Just, you know, start just putting thoughts on paper. And then one that kind of resonated with me more and stood out, I would look up, you know, I would Google it or, or research it. And then I'd find out, oh, well, that title's already out there. So my husband, I actually have to give credit to my husband for this because he kind of, he came up with it. Because I, I mentioned to him one time when we were traveling, I said, you know, I'm really struggling. I have all my poems, and I want to put them in a book, and I just can't find the perfect title that encompasses it all, like you said, because they're all different poems. They reflect all different emotions and, and you know, challenges or, or times in your life. And it's, it's tears of change. I'll give you a little bit of background on that, because what I mentioned earlier, my poetry started out as being really sad. When I started writing poetry, I had no intention of publishing it. But it's just kind of evolved, like things happen in life. But I, it was just sad, and and I was processing grief, and and I thought, you know, it it was just uh, my movement from processing the grief, and and as we know, when you process emotions, you move on to other things, and other emotions, and other happenings in life, and. After I processed all that, I, I, I started moving into, you know, the, the love and the gratitude and the, the contemplation. So my cover, it's, it's a tree and a river. And on the one side, uh, there's a tree in the middle of the river. And the one side of the tree is a little bit barren with black tears. And the other side is very vibrant and lush with clear tears. So that depicts my movement from the sad to the happy. And then the river is kind of where you know, all the tears spill into, and it kind of recognizes our energy and life and our movement through life. So the tree is kind of a metaphor for for myself. I I have to ask, is there a poem in the book, in the collection, called Tears of Change, like like a title track on on a record? No. (laughs) You know what I mean by that? Yeah, no, 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 I hear you. I know where you're going with that. There is, I do start out, the book with um, Honor Your Tears. That's my very first poem. And that was my initial poem that, like I said, it birthed my book. And that recognizes my my tears of both joy and sadness, which inspired me to write, you know, each poem and find the awareness and beauty in all of my emotions. So that one would kind of chronicle the title, Tears of Change, because it moves through that, that movement, the change in that movement. How did you select what things would be in the book. I, I, I'm just kind of assuming that it's not all-encompassing, so you had to pick some over others. Right. So I started with just categories, 
Because you're right. I mean, I have hundreds of poems. Some, you know, you just toss away and don't want them. And others you, you regard as something you want to keep and put in the book. So I broke my book up into like four categories. And then I moved from, um, from there. Like a category I have is friendship. Then I have a couple of poems on friendship in there. Then I have children is a category. And I have a quote underneath each one of my categories in my book. And then I write about children. So I'll have about three poems about my children. Then I go into another category of contemplation. And then I've, I've incorporated poems that um, deal with contemplation. And then my last one is about love. And then I have a few poems in there that talk about love. When you have a collection like this, by virtue of the way you select them and organize them and and uh, and program them in terms of what order they come in and so on, um, are are you telling one big story or lots of little stories? Lots of little stories. There's 18 poems in the book, and they all encompass different emotions and feelings uh like i said with love or contemplation or gratitude or sadness and despair like i have a poem on passing and so it, it pretty much are um they're short stories of of all different events and happenings in one's life so i always say you know people ask me what my audience is and i said i think most anyone can pick up the book and find one poem that would resonate with them You talk about, you refer to poetry as your gift. And you talk about gifts, meaning creative talents, and the fact that they're often hidden behind fear. What what do you mean by that, and is there a way we can turn that around? Yes, I... Um Prior to my anxiety, I always say I was existing. You know, I was going through the motions in life. I was kind of in the technology field. That was when computers were, I'm dating myself here, <laughs> becoming very uh, in the picture. But I... Um, oh, those newfangled computers? <laughs> but I started writing through, um, I had to recognize my... I had so in backtracking to my anxiety, part of my healing process with anxiety that I had to recognize a lot of my emotions that I wasn't processing. And I know that sounds kind of weird. People are like, What do you mean? And you know, some of it is like it was fear, like things that I was afraid of and I didn't want to face. I wouldn't really work through them. I would just kind of stuff them in a little compartment in my, you know, mind and say, Oh, I'll get to it later. Kind of like when you say, Oh, I'm strong, I don't have to deal with that if something happens, but you should deal with it because those are feelings and emotions that are learning lessons for you to move through. And when you don't move through them, you pretty much stuff them. And that's what I did. And that's what my anxiety was. It was suppressing my emotions. So I had to go through a whole, and I didn't know what it was at the time either. It was very foreign to me. I was like, emotions? What are you talking about? I'm suppressing my emotions. <laughs> as as I, you were saying all that, um, I, I, could, uh, I could hear my dad saying, cool. walk it off. Very, I like that. Walk it, yeah. Meaning, move through it, think about it, get through it. Just set it on. aside and move on. Right, but you have to move through it though too. You can't. And with me, I was just, I wasn't processing it. I, like if I wanted to cry, let's take an example. You want to cry? Let's say 
you were hurt by someone and you're and, and it was a very, you know, maybe a hurtful comment or something someone did to you and and you really wanted to cry about it, but you didn't. You just said, Okay, I'm not gonna cry, I'm gonna be strong. That's not moving through it. You should have cried. You should have moved through it. Because that's how you release emotions and that's how you get through the learning or whatever uh, what you were supposed to learn from that from that emotion because emotions are a learning process we learn from them we grow from them and my biggest one to answer the latter part of your question was with fear I had to really work through some fears and I found that when I wrote things down I did talk therapy and work through some of the things that I was afraid of it kind of opened myself up to lean into my joy my therapist once told me you know through all this pain and despair and fear, you're going to have that much joy. And I, I, at the time, I was like, are you crazy? What, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, this is nuts. But she was right. As I did work through everything, it, it, it did open myself up, and I was able to lean into more happiness and gratitude and love in my life. And that's where the po- poems came from. This is where the, how the whole book was evolved, really, is, is uh, moving through that and expressing all of my emotions. So fear is a big one for me. I'm I'm very strong advocate of of working through it and get getting to the other side of it because I believe through those emotions is, that's where we learn and we grow. Is poetry making a comeback? I think so. I you know I it's always been there, but I think there's a lot of um the younger poets now is more engaged with um, slam poetry, where that is more based on performance, you know, spoken word. Sure. Mine is um, mine's a little bit more traditional freestyle. I really don't um, get up and perform it. Mine, I have more for basically sitting and reading and contemplating their short stories. And I think it's coming back. Well, Amanda Gorman with the, you know, the inauguration, she was big several years ago. One of the other presidents had a poet up there. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's making a resurgence. I really do. I think people are, you know, they're not staying with a lot of, like, the Poes and the Whitmans back in, you know, other decades. There, there was such a structure to it. I think it's a little bit more freestyle now. People just write and recite what they, what they feel. Well, I want to talk some more about uh, about that and, and about uh, the process you go through for writing and, um, and, and other things that people can get out of uh, poetry and affirmations. But I have to take a break here, Debbie. Can you, oh. can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Absolutely. All yes. right. Well, my, uh, my guest is the author of a, a new book, a collection of... Uh, Poems, Reflections, and Quotes for a Meaningful Life called Tears of Change. Her name is Debbie Montasia. And uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint, a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with uh, lots more. And uh, my guest, Debbie Montasia, right after this. Hello? 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a new book, uh, a collection of poetry by my guest, Debbie Montasia. It's called Tears of Change, and Debbie joins me by phone. Debbie, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no worries. I'm enjoying our interview. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit about uh, how, in the last segment, the, um, the book, Tears of Change, is a, um, a collection of poems from over the years. But what's the writing process like for you for the poems themselves? Um, are, are, you, are you telling a, a different story with each one? Yes. Each, each, story, each poem is unique to, um, to its own story. Uh, like I always say, you know, you, gotta, you have to get inspired. Um, and I can get my inspiration from anywhere, from walking through the grocery store, from reading a documentary or reading another book. I'll just, something will pop into my mind, a topic or a subject, and I'll kind of get the inspiration to write about it. And how I start that is I'll jot down maybe a title and then I'll bullet anything related to that title, grab a word or a phrase and kind of do an outline. And from there, it evolves into more or less composing the body of the poem. And again, I'm still in my mind, I'm thinking of telling a, a short story. So then some of these bullet words are, move into phrases. And then from the phrases, it kind of works into a poem. So I like playing with words a lot and using rhyme. A lot of my poems are in rhyme. And... Um, once I, once that materializes, then I go back and I review it. You know, writing, and so many people think, oh, I can't write, or I don't know how to write, but you'd be surprised if you just start putting your thoughts on paper, because it doesn't all come to fruition at your first, you know, try of it. I mean, it takes several, several, several edits, and I'm sure you can, any writer, whether it's a poet or, you know, they're writing a novel, they can tell you the, the amount of editing that's involved. Well, I always but, ask writers um, if they if they outline their work ahead of time and, and sort of follow that outline, or or if they sit down and just start writing, and it and it you know sometimes it almost writes itself. But it sounds like you're you're fairly structured that you put together an, an outline before you start? I do. And I, I'm both, actually. But uh, that's a good question. I, I do outline when I feel like I'm a little in the writer's block, so to speak. or And I do that for a reason so I could have, you know, many of my poems have several stanzas. They're not very short. They're, they're a little long. They're page long. So that's how I'll know which, you know, what I'm going to compose in each stanza and sometimes you can just brainstorm i know many writers do just brainstorm and then they go back and edit 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 <laughs> like i said because you can use a lot of i like to say when you do write or you brainstorm or even your outline i always use a lot of the same words but i do that to get it down on paper to get the thought process down and then you go back and you can change some of those words i always like using my thesaurus it's my best friend i <laughs> I do, because I just love going in there, and then I find new words for the word I'm using in my sentence, you know, the adverb or adjective. 
describing the subject. You were talking in the last segment, uh, toward the end of the segment, before we went to break, mm-hmm. about how ideas will come to you, um, you know, just at, at random times. You could be walking through a grocery store or, you know, shopping or driving in your car. How do you keep track of all that? Do you, do you keep a journal or a diary and, and write things down? You know, I will if I really feel inspired by that thought. So, like I mentioned, going to the grocery store, I've gone, you know, when my kids were younger, I have, I don't know, something inspired me. I jot it down on a little piece of paper. Now I just will put things in notes on my phone. But I do. Not every time I think of it, I write it down. But sometimes I'll, I'll feel a strong desire and I say, ooh, this, something's moving me with this. I think I want to write about it. A, a good example of that, when I read the, um, I read the Beatles documentary several months ago and oh my gosh I was just so moved by their story um obviously we all know a little bit about the Beatles story but it was it was very informative reading their documentary and after I had finished reading that I was extremely creative I sat down and wrote a song wrote another poem it just really moved me in my creative process so it's just sporadic there's just certain things that happen and I can't really pinpoint when where who how but I, I listen, I'm very intuitive, so I always listen to my gut. I think, you know, they say your stomach is your second brain, and I truly believe that. Uh, you get those gut feelings, and they're very powerful, and they work for me. So that's how a lot of my writing processes take place. When you're, um, it, it's, it, the reason I brought up the journal is, is because I uh-huh. have a, a friend, a, a songwriter in Nashville, and he uh-huh. is forever writing in notebooks little phrases, yeah. little lyrical phrases that come to him or could be a musical, uh, you know, a chord progression or something. He makes these notes. And then when he feels inspired to write, he goes through those things and and then, you know, pulls from them the inspiration for a a new piece, or he fleshes out the idea, and I just wondered if you kind of did that with the notes that you write on your phone. I do, I, and I actually um, that is a big process, I think, with a lot of writers and songwriters because you know he calls it his boneyard. It. By the way, what did he call it? His boneyard. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. But, but it's true because, you know, thoughts are so fleeting and they, they come and go and, and it's so easy to forget about certain thoughts that, you know, did inspire you. I actually journal mostly, I say mostly because I go in and out of it every morning about three pages. And when I journal, it's just a practice I use to kind of clear my thoughts to start the day and kind of take anything trivial that's unmeaning or if something's bothering me or upsetting me. That could be blocking me from getting into my creativity or getting into living in the moment, which is so very hard to do, (laughs) but I try to focus on that daily. And sometimes things come from, you know, come from there as well. I can go back and read that and say, oh, kind of like your friend, that could make a good poem or I could, I could expand on this and, and write a little bit more about this subject and get creative. So I think there's all different Everybody does it a little bit different, but I think there's a strong common denominator there for writers and, and songwriters. Is When you write poetry, is it purely therapeutic for you, or as you're writing, 
Is there a someone out there you're writing to? A person or persons, an audience? Both. And it's it's sprinkled throughout my book. So you'll, you'll see some of my poems are about me. And it is cathartic and therapeutic. Um, like I have one, The Window to Your Soul, that's about recognizing your inner child and turning inward and recognizing your true self. So there's a few of those in there. Then I have a friendship poem. So that I wrote for a good friend that was moving out of state that, you know, I treasured our friendship dearly and I couldn't find anything in the, you know, stores for cards or anything. And I said, you know, our friendship has truly moved me and it's it's been such a, you know, a, a good relationship. I'm going to write about it. And that, that particular poem just came out like we talked about earlier, just in, I really didn't have to bullet it that much. It just all came out and transpired into a, a beautiful friendship poem that, that I gave her when she left. So it's a little bit of both. When, um, when you're writing poetry, is there, is there a certain rhythm to your voice? There is with mine. I, I like to, I, like I said, I write in rhyme and which is kind of old school a little bit compared to, you know, the slam poetry that's out right now. A little bit. <laughs> I, was, I was just agreeing with you a little bit. That's a little old school. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little old school, but, um, you don't, you know, in with the old school, like I was saying earlier, you know, with Whitman and some of those older poets, Wadsworth and Frost and Yeats, you have to, you have to kind of understand a little bit about their background and who they are to kind of dive into their poetry to understand it. Because sometimes I can read a lot of those older poets, you know, from 17th and 18th century, and I don't understand a lot of it. But mine, you can pretty much, it's very, it's, it's very spoken in layman's terms. It's very simple to other, understand. And so, like, my stanzas are usually, like, you know, my paragraphs, when I say stanzas, that's just a short paragraph. If I have, like, eight paragraphs to one poem, I usually have the very last word in the sentences rhyme. So, like, I have a weeping willow poem, so I'll give you an example of that. Please. And it's, and do you want me to read the whole poem, or do you want me to read just the stanza? What, whatever, how, whatever you think is appropriate. We have time. Okay, good. I'll read the whole poem. Because this is a poem on contemplation, and this poem was inspired by me simply walking through nature and absorbing all of Mother Earth and looking at trees and looking at the magnificence and beauty of them. So I wrote this about the weeping willow tree. Have you ever seen a tree so tall? Has it reached its highest peak? The branches droop so soft and serene. Does the weeping willow weep? Is it tears that make the tree so lush, the luster of its slender leaves? I don't think a tree would grieve. It's only there to please. Its beauty and its shadow cast a glow in late afternoon. When nighttime falls, the willows sway beneath the peaceful moon. When dawn arrives, the specks of dew embrace each delicate leaf. That's why one might say a weeping willow weeps. The wind whispers through each willow as the branches swing to and fro. A marvel of God's creation as we watch this willow grow. That's wonderful. So I have to retract. I said at the end of every sentence, <laughs> at the end of every second sentence, or every no, second line. No, I, I got I at the end of every coupling. Yeah. 
I, I got it. I, I, and it was that was very nice, and thank you for doing that. Um, oh, thank you. Now, as you said earlier, <laughs> this is a collection of many years' worth of poetry. Um, how have people been reacting to the book so far? Oh, I've had really positive feedback, especially from women and mothers. They can relate because I have, like I mentioned earlier, I have a poem on children, I have a poem on friendship, I have a poem on love. Um, it's been very positive. I've had people read it from front to back and because that kind of moves through my story of anxiety. I touch on that a little bit. So you kind of get a feel for, you know, my life's journey the past several years. Or it's simply a book you can pick up and just pop it open and read one poem. You know, kind of see which poem, uh, you know, appears when you open the book. Uh, I, I designed it as a table book so it can be read like that. So you don't have to read it from front to back. There's 18 poems in there. And I've had... Um, feedback where they have said, I read your whole book and I keep it out on my table because I like to go back to it once in a while and just read some of the poems, you know, because they're very emotional and and it just depends on where, you know, you're at during your daily journey. You know, if you're sad, I've got one on passing. If you're happy, I've got one on happiness. If you just want to think about contemplation or something different to take your mind into another, you know, realm, you can read my Weeping Willow poem. So there's all, all different po poems. Do you have um, enough poetry set aside that you could do another book? What's What's next? If uh, is is there a Tears of Change two? <laughs> I'm in the second edition. I'm enjoying the journey with this one. Sure. I do. Yeah, I do have other poems I could put in there. I was very selective with this one being my first book to see how it was going to be accepted. And it's good. And I'm very happy because it's, you know, it's doing very well. So uh, I would say I could do a second edition and move from there. Uh, I don't know. I'm highly creative. So I'm always jotting things down like we talked about earlier in journaling. And I, I um, could come up with, with definitely another book. I do have a website, though, um, where I sell some of my poetry. That's kind of where I've been putting a lot of my energy right now, too. I sell four of my poems out of the book, and they're poem overlays. And oh, what that yeah. means, yeah, like my friendship poem, for example. If you go on my website, and I can, I can give you that, um, you could... I have the, the consumer send me a picture of one of their best friends or a picture of themselves with their best friend. And I receive the photograph via email and then I overlay, it's transparent, the friendship poem over the picture. So it's a black and white, kind of like a silhouette. So it makes a really unique gift. I've been doing very well with that. Well, that's um, a fun idea. Is the book self-published or do you have a publisher? I published it through Christian Faith Publishing. Okay. So not self-published like through Amazon, but I went through I went through them um, to get it all, you know, to 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 put it all together. I just wondered if they're encouraging you to uh, come out with another book. No, they haven't. And I don't know traditionally if that's what those publishing companies would do. Um, I'm not sure. But my audience is. <laughs> I get people say, when's your next book? And I go, oh, 
you know, this was a big process being my first one. Now you know, right? Anything the first time well, obviously sure. is so new. You know, it's it's definitely not a uh, a sprint. It's a marathon. And I've heard other authors say that, too. Because, you know, once I look at my book, and I'm so pleased with it, because I had to do all the artwork in it and the quotes and the inspiration. Well, I didn't write the quotes. I, you know, copied the quotes. But my inspiration that precedes each poem, and then I have a little um, sketch, which is the artwork that um, precedes the poem as well to kind of give the reader. It takes the reader into, into a more visual aspect of the poem, too. So I, I've been finding my readers have enjoyed that as well, having the artwork in there. And that's something I had to come up with, which was, <laughs> that was challenging because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had to really spend weeks and weeks kind of formulating that, but it all worked out and I'm super pleased with it. So I'm excited that it all tied together for the reader to enjoy. Well, that's, that's kind of why I brought that up, Debbie, because I, you know, a lot of times after, you know, after a book is out, there's a certain amount of time you spend, you know, um, catching your breath and promoting the book and, you know, maybe maybe doing signings and readings and so on. But, um, you know, then then what's next? <laughs> and and given that this, you know, was so all encompassing of work going back many years i just i i just wondered how daunting it might be if you decided you know i enjoyed this process and i you know i'd like to do another book um how long it would take you well a good question like anything um i've learned from all of it i know the second time around would probably be half the half the amount of time because you learn you know you you, you sure. move through things like I didn't know anything about publishing a book. I just dove right into it. And I do that a lot in life. Um, some of my friends are like, gosh, you just move. You just do something. and You think of it and you just dive into it. And, I, and I'm the type of person, if I don't, then I won't do that. I won't, I, I just don't move into that process or, or won't, I just don't do anything with it. But with my book, I, I did research it a little bit. And it's been a, a desire to put this book out there for many, many years because of my extremely debilitating case of anxiety. I just wanted to kind of let people know, you know, you can work through it. And I did. I worked through all my anxiety. I don't get anxiety anymore. Um, thank gosh, because it was so bad. <laughs> and, yeah, but what we taught, I know we touched about this at the beginning of our interview, you know, by moving through my anxiety is where a lot of my talents came in, you know, had I not started journaling, I don't know that I would have started writing poetry. I didn't realize my love for writing uh, at an earlier age until I went through that. And you touched in the beginning as well for my interior design work. I was more in the tech field prior to my poetry and my interior design. I had no idea I was going to go into interior design either. And that's something I pursued out of just... Uh, listening to my gut, which I talked about earlier, and, and my creativity. I'm not formally schooled in interior design, but I've been doing it the last 22 years. I had decided many years ago when I um, got into it, it was just a storefront with a design center, and I just wanted to work in the store because my kids were young. I wanted some, you know, adult time, and then it evolved, and actually I started helping people designing their rooms and spaces, and that's how that uh interior design transpired so that's where i where i chronicle some of my talents 
and purpose in life came out of my anxiety. And that's where I try to tell people, you know, if you're feeling anxious or you're feeling some fearful or scary thoughts or uncomfortable thoughts or challenging thoughts, those are the ones you need to really maybe dive into and try to get to the other side because I think they're learning and it's growth. What are, so many, what are you hoping, Debbie, what do you hope most that people get from reading your poetry? That they can be more vulnerable with themselves and move through. You know, poetry is very vulnerable. It's expressing areas within ourselves a lot of people don't want to go to. I think another reason for poetry, the resurgence of it, is I think we're in a generation now where people exploit their vulnerability more. They tell their story, whether it's, you know, not so desirable, the more fearful parts of their stories. I know back in my mom's generation, you know, if you even brought up, oh, you should go into therapy or you should do this, they will look at you like, a, you know, you're crazy or that's not, you're not a valid or, you know, a very confident human being. I think now with all this therapy and self-help books, it's just more accepted. So I'm hoping that when people read my poems, because some of them are sad and some of them move deep into the heart, that people can recognize, hey, I sometimes feel like that. And I, I'm going to honor that and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through that. And, and, and you'd be surprised how cathartic it can be and rewarding when you move through all of your emotions. My guest is Debbie Montasia, the author of Tears of Change, Poems, Reflections, and Quotes for a Meaningful Life. And Debbie, I really appreciate you sharing uh, uh, your time and uh, talents with me and the listeners this morning and in your book. Um, I always um, thank you for being here, and I always give guests an opportunity to um, share with listeners where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. And you mentioned a website. Do you want to share that? Sure. It's called tearsofchangepoetry.com. And like I mentioned earlier, it gives a little bit more insight into myself. And um, it also outlines my four poetry overlays where they're available to purchase if they want to send, you know, email me um, a, a photo and I can um, overlay a poem. It's a very simple process. I go through all that in my, in, on my website. And it's also a place, it's a link that they can purchase the book. So there's links to Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and other book distributors there as well. And did I read somewhere that you were maybe... Uh allocating or, or donating a percentage of the book sales to uh, charity? Very good. I need to bring that out more. I am. I'm For every book sold, I'm, I'm donating a percentage of that to No Kid Hungry Foundation. And that's where they feed the kids who don't have um, enough food, you know, to, to live on in their daily life. So it's for kids. I'm a really strong advocate with kids and animals. But, well, um, good, good for you, Debbie, and thank you so much. Um, we have to wrap it up now, but uh, it's been a real pleasure talking with you, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Tom, and thank you again for having me on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. All right, take care. All right, you too. Again, that was uh, Debbie Montasia, the author of Tears of Change, Poems, Reflections, and Quotes for a Meaningful Life. And... Uh, 
We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
That blue ox baby's one fire cat. Don't you let him catch us anything but that. Once it gets started, that guy don't quit. Make this exit, yeah, that's it. I told my cousin we'd get there when we arrive. Shut up, baby, let me drive. Radio. 
for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Wrapping it up with another uh, tribute to Back to the Bricks. And uh, we'll be doing that all week while Back to the Bricks is going on in Flint, celebrating uh, Flint's automotive history and America's love uh, affair with the automobile. And we'll be doing it with local artists, as we did just then. Uh, we had uh, the Dancing Dogs uh, with uh, Tom Short, who hails from Flint, and Shut Up Betty and Let Me Drive. We also heard uh, Three Men in a Tenor with uh, little GTO. So we'll be uh, squeezing in cartoons off and on through the week as we uh, have time and, and can make time. I want to say thanks to the guests that were on the show today. I hope you enjoyed our conversations with um, Debbie Montasia this uh, last hour talking about her book, Tears of Change, Poems, Reflections, and Quotes for a Meaningful Life. And with the... Uh, National Geographic uh, Explorers in Residence that we uh, spoke to in the second hour, Derek and Beverly Jobert, talking about the uh, National Geographic Kids book, Ultimate Book of African Animals. And we started out this morning with uh, San Diego-based writer Sally Buffington on her debut memoir, A Place Like This, Finding Myself in a Cape Cod cottage anyway great uh, great show today and uh, we'll continue paying tribute to back to the bricks throughout the week with uh, cartoons or car tunes by local artists tomorrow of course is wednesday which means armchair politics political operative bobby clayton walton joins our roundtable regulars paul rosicki and henry hatter plus we're going to be uh, talking with uh, mike smith one of the authors of A Hundred of the Worst Ideas in History. So join us tomorrow. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.